Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to worship. This may surprise some of you, but I'd like to make a confession. I am a terrible dancer. Think, think Elaine on Seinfeld. What's more is, I blame the church. I grew up in a church that thought going to movies and going to dances was a sin. So when all of my friends were going to see the latest Disney movie growing up, you guessed it, I was in church. And the school that I grew up in, in New York, every semester uh, in elementary school would have a square dancing class. And I loved square dancing class until I found out that was a sin. It has something to do with the boys that used to do phys ed by themselves and the girls that used to do phys ed by themselves, whenever it got to square dancing, we came together. And apparently it was a sin, you know, to square dance with a girl. And it must have been because I liked it. Okay? So I blame the church. It's been 30 years I've danced twice in 30 years. Both of them were at my daughter's weddings. You know the dad and daughter dance? I was terrified. Because all eyes were on me, not my daughter's. I'm convinced of it. They were all on me. And people had videos. Right? And you know how you're supposed to, in the dad and daughter dance, You're supposed to say loving and kind things to one another. Dad, you've been a great dad. Love you. Our daughters were left, right, left, right, ow. I blame the church. It's taken me many years to get over my danceless childhood, but I've sort of moved on. Maybe. We've been in a series since July called Captivated. Worship Jesus, be like Jesus. And the whole point of this series is to really ask ourselves the question, are you captivated with Jesus? Okay, what does it mean to be captivated? Uh, The word captivated means to be beguiled. We don't use that word much anymore. It's to be enthralled with. We don't use that word much anymore. But it's this whole idea that to be captivated with Jesus is really to understand that Jesus, because he's God, is worthy of being the center of our attention, the very 
focus of our lives. There's many things that compete for our attention. Most of them are good. It's fine. But, you know, who, who can argue with loving your family? Who can argue with loving your kids? You know, who can argue with being a good worker and all of those types of things? But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself the question, who is the primary focus of my life? And that's what this series has been about. But I had a new thought this week. Never had it before. If we're supposed to be captivated with Jesus, here's the new thought. What captivates Jesus? Do you know? When Jesus was on earth, what captivated him? What was worthy of his attention? What was the central focus of his ministry? And it may surprise you, it was a dance. The ancient church had a word for this dance. Perichoresis. Peri means circle. Choresis means dance. And it was what the ancient church fathers, it's how they describe the interaction of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they described this loving, mutual respect, mutual honor, unconditional love relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They defined it as a dance. And if you want to know what that dance, you ready for this? If you want to know what that dance looks like, watch the reception scene in my Big Fat Greek Wedding. It's the perichoresis. Because in every Greek Orthodox marriage, in the reception, they always do the dance. And what they do is, is that they start off with the husband and wife, and they bring the mom and dads in, and then they bring the other people of the wedding party, and then everybody joins in, and they're just doing one big circle dance, and they're laughing, and they're enjoying one another, and it's beautiful. Priests in the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century and for years, Greek Orthodox priests would do this dance and they'd have their long robes on and it would be three of them that would do this dance and they'd be dancing and the whole point of the dance was to get faster and faster and faster so that at one point you actually couldn't tell who, which priest was which. And it was just one big blur. And that, is the Trinity. John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are what we call now the upper room discourse. It's Jesus' last words to his disciples. In some ways, I suppose you could say if you wanted to rank the words of Jesus, which probably shouldn't do, but just for practical reasons, if you wanted to rank the, the words of Jesus, probably John 13 through 17 should be at the top shelf because they're, these are Jesus' last words of instruction to his disciples, basically saying, before I go to the cross, this is what you need to know. And you know what was on Jesus' mind in John 13 through 17? It was this dance. 
consider for a moment some of the words that are recorded, particularly in John, but some of the words that are recorded that Jesus said. For example, John 14, 10, 11. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Just a couple verses later. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So you see Jesus talking about the Father and about the Holy Spirit. Very Trinitarian. John 15, 26. But I will send an advocate, the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and testify all about me. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, meaning the advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Wait a minute. I thought that the Father was sending the Spirit. But Jesus is saying he's sending the Spirit. Well, which is it? It's perichoresis. It's three in one. Whatever comes from the Father comes from the Son. Whatever comes from the Spirit comes from Jesus. Who comes from the Father? All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. John 17, 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. This divine dance is all about giving and sharing glory among the Trinity. John 17, 20. I pray that they will all be one, referring to the disciples, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now, these verses that I've just identified are just a sliver of some of the other verses that Jesus said. I just didn't want to spend the time this morning going through all those verses. But that's just within the upper room discourse. This doesn't even take into consideration the other times in which we see this perichoresis dance taking place. For example, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, very well-known verses. Many of you probably can say them by heart. It's after Jesus was baptized, right? After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, what happened? The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. The place of total security, the place of unconditional love, is the perichoresis, 
the fellowship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy. Now, about now, some of you are thinking, hey, I get it, Mark, that's great. Is the whole message going to be like this? Because I understand that. I get it. But what does that have to do with me? The rest of the message is about practically, on an everyday basis, what does that mean to you? And how do you experience that? So I have three thoughts. First thought is this. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to invite you to the dance. This is the heart of the gospel message. A holy God made us in his image, but because of our sin and rebellion, we broke that beautiful image of God in us, and now it's shattered. And we deserve death and punishment, but because God is a loving God, he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to repair and restore that relationship. The reason why Jesus came to this earth is not just so he could do some miracles and say some really cool things, but the reason he came was so that he could die on the cross for our sins and raise from the dead to forgive us our sins and to empower us through resurrection power, which is what? The power of the Holy Spirit, so that you and I can actually live a righteous, holy life. So if you stop and think about it, Jesus comes to every single person on the planet. Jew, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, secular humanist, just regular old American people that are just trying to live a white picket fence life. And he comes to every single person. God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And Jesus says, you want to dance? That is the invitation to salvation. That's why Jesus, when he prayed this prayer, said, I have given them, meaning you and me, the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are in one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That blows my mind. The Father loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. Somewhere in our brain, we have it like this. Well, I mean, God really loves Jesus. And I I, I suppose he loves me, but he doesn't love me nearly as much as he loves Jesus. Listen, if you're in the dance, here's what happens. Jesus says, you want to dance? You receive the free gift of salvation, and you become part of that Trinitarian dance, and it's an unconditional love dance. And so when Jesus... When God looks at you, when Jesus looks at you, when the Holy Spirit looks at you, he sees you through the eyes of Christ. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. You ever been to a school dance? 
I haven't. (laughs) But here's what I'm told. (laughs) You know I'm just kidding about I blame the church, right? I don't want anybody walking away like, oh man, Mark's ticked off of the church. (laughs) So what I'm told is this. There's usually a couple really good dancers out on the floor. And then the rest of the people are hovering, just kind of like looking at those people going, wow, they're really good. And then other people are kind of like, I wonder if anybody's going to ask me to dance. And there's a whole lot of fear and insecurity going on. You see, the same thing happens in the spiritual world. We look at some people and we say, man, they're really good Christians. I I could never do the Christian life like those people, and so we're standing on the edge. And Jesus comes to us and he says, you want to dance, and all kind of fear and insecurity come over us. We go, well, I mean, I can never be like them. I can never be like my godly grandmother, you know what I'm saying, who's been following Jesus for 70 years. I mean, I can never be like my dad, or I can never be like, you know, and you just come up with all these reasons why you can't say yes to stepping into the dance floor with Jesus and entering into this perichoresis because there's all kinds of fear all over you. What if I mess up? What if I can't live the Christian life like I'm supposed to? I mean, it's pretty serious business, you connecting with God. But here's what you need to know. If you say yes, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit teach you to dance. And they teach you to dance through the Spirit, and they teach you to dance by watching other people, but it's never a competition. We should never compare ourselves to other people and feel bad because of their great Christian life and our Christian life isn't that great. We always compare ourselves to other people to stimulate something inside of us that says, ooh, I I could be like them one day, but not in a competitive way. And here's what I've also discovered. When we dance, we do trip. We do fall. We do misstep. But remember, you're dancing with the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And it's unconditional love. And one of them says, oh, that's fine, get up. Come on, we'll do it again. Okay, you misstep for the 50th time. Okay, fine, get up, let's go again. But there are some people that live a defeated life because they're just down on the ground and they refuse to get up because of whatever. Self-pity, fear, anxiousness, whatever. They're just afraid of failure. God is never afraid of your failure because he's way bigger and he can handle it. Second thought, are you happy? That's not a deep thought, but let me ask you, are you happy? As a Christian, are you happy? As an unbeliever who's still trying to figure out, I mean, maybe you're here today and you're like, I I don't even know about this Christian thing. Are you happy? Dances are happy events. The perichoresis dance that the Trinity experiences is an eternal, listen, it's an eternal celebration of their love for one another. It's, It's a celebration of harmony and unity, mutual respect, and they enjoy one another. 
So many Christians walk around heavy-hearted, like following Jesus is burdensome, difficult, and exhausting. They have a furrowed brow, almost like, how can I be happy because my kids aren't walking with the Lord? How can I be happy because there's so much suffering in the world? How can I be happy because I have this physical affliction? Yep. All that's true. There are serious issues that need to be addressed. But also, don't forget, dances are fundamentally happy events. The kingdom of God is basically one big party. If you were here months ago, I preached a a sermon out of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul said, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And I use the term sapositon. Sapositon is where we get our word symposium. But sapositon in the ancient Greek world represented the Roman drinking parties. And the Roman drinking parties were legendary. Everybody went to some party place. They got drunk. They actually had vomitoriums. You imagine what that is, right? You leave. You do your business. You come back and stuff your face again. And then go to the vomitorium. Come back. Stuff your face again. All the, re- all the while, just drunk as a skunk. You know what the Apostle Paul says? This is going to blow your mind. The Apostle Paul says that we ought to take that image of the sapositon and carry it over into the church. And the reality is is that church ought to be this unbelievably happy celebration where we know that we're connected with God and we enjoy each other and we're filled with the Spirit in a much more meaningful way than what was taking place over there. Now, I'm not saying that there are not times in which we should have soberness and somberness and reflective music in a worship service, but that is the exception. The norm is up. Are you happy? To be a Christian is to be first and foremost filled with joy because we are in the ever-present presence of the King who deserves our worship and adoration. Now here's the flip side. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit take delight in you. They're happy because of you. And we're all perfectionistic, and we're, oh, we can point out all the things in our life that are inconsistent, and I'm not saying that those things that are inconsistent shouldn't be dealt with. I'm just simply saying that sometimes we look at ourselves in such a negative light that we actually need to remember that God is pleased with you. The very same words that the Holy Spirit said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, are the very same words that the Spirit wants you to hear about you. Is there any problem you face that is too big for our God? No. Is there any sin so big that God cannot forgive? 
No. Is there any hurt too deep that God cannot heal? No. You have a lot to be thankful for. And so do I. Three. Jesus wants you to be filled with and led by His Spirit. That's why Jesus talks so much, particularly from John 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's a constant dialogue about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's other things in there, but that's primarily the theme. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the need to be filled with and led by his Holy Spirit. And in these verses, Jesus gives four reasons why we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. You know what the word advocate is? Legal counsel. It is synonymous with an attorney. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a lawyer? That should change your perception. Now listen, what does a lawyer do? A lawyer is duty-bound when you retain them to represent you to the best of his or her ability. They are in your camp. The purpose of a lawyer is to guide you, to give you counsel, to direct you, even to comfort you. Because the lawyer is in your camp. That is the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here today that could use with a little comfort? Is there anybody here that could actually use some pretty direct guidance? You don't know what you're doing. Should you do this? Should you do that? Should you put your kids here? Should you put your kids there? Which daycare? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit will help you. How do you deal with your adult children? I used to think that parenting was hard until I had adult children. It takes it to a whole new level. I just want to encourage you. It gets worse. (laughs) When your kids are in your home, at least you have some level of control. They're out of their home and they're doing their own life. And we're like, I don't know, should we say anything? We think they're making a mistake. Did they ask our opinion? No. Let's shut our mouths. (laughs) We see a train wreck coming. Doesn't matter. They didn't ask for it. I mean, I don't know. But the Holy Spirit does. Two, the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a life of holiness and service. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, I think, is that famous passage of Jesus talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Verse 5, he says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. The world has so much need. There is so much pain in the world. This week at the gym, so I, go to, I should be a twig. I'm just saying. I should be like the thinnest guy here, right? I am not, but I go to the gym six days a week. I take Sunday off because it's my day of rest. <laughs> this week, I went to the gym in Satterton, and two people came rushing up to me and said, we know you're a pastor, 
can you pray for, and then they listed off the crisis that's going on in their family. I've got a mission field at Planet Fitness in Souderton. I was at another event this week, and somebody talked to me and said, hey, I have a friend that volunteers in this organization. You never met them, but they're next to you at Planet Fitness, and they see you reading religious books. And they're trying to work up the courage to say something to you. So you know what we did? Right there in Planet Fitness, I just prayed for that person and their family and their premature granddaughter that's at CHOP. And then I'm on the machine, sweating like crazy. Guy looks over at me. He's another Christian at another church. His name is Jim. And he says, Mark, can you pray for... And then he lists this off. Other people around us, they're like this. Right? Absolutely. I said, Jim, I'll be happy to pray for you. This lady... Three, three, uh, the elliptical. Three ellipticals over. I'll pray for you too. <laughs> Revival's breaking out. Out of this sacred dance with you and the Trinity and other believers, where we experience our own healing, our own forgiveness, maybe for the first time ever experiencing what it really means to be loved thoroughly through and through. Out of that, we are called to pass it on. Historically, the church has always been the most productive people on the planet. Christians have started more colleges and universities, more hospitals and clinics, more healing places than any other people group on the planet. We need to make sure we're doing the same in our generation. Right now we have a missions team in Kenya. Why do we do that? We're passing it on. We handed out 350 Samaritan's purse, little shoe boxes. Why are we doing that? Because we're passing it on. You saw up on the screen during the announcement time, boxes of love. What, why are we asking small groups to come together and do that? Because we're passing it on. Several weeks ago, there was a chop walk. And I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I'm seeing all the Emmanuel Church families that are at the chop walk on Sunday morning. Now, the old mark is like, they should be in church. The new mark is, they are the church. From joy, we give joy. Three, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. And when he comes, Jesus says, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Everybody in this room, everybody listening on the internet, you know, I know, that I've done things that I knew were wrong. 
and you have that inner sense of burning, that inner sense of pain, knowing that you've not only violated your own conscience, but you have violated God's law. You know it. Some of you right here know it too. You're doing things that you know are wrong. And you're doing them anyway. You're living your life in rebellion against God. You are saying, no, I'm doing things my way. I understand that God says this, but I'm doing this for this season. And you've come up with all these reasons why it's okay. But at the end of the day, you still have that pain in your heart. And that pain eats away at you and destroys you. What is that pain? It's called conviction. And conviction is your best friend. The world says guilt is bad. God says real guilt is a gift. Because it's God's way of pricking your heart, of saying, you're out of bounds. Come back to a safe place in relationship with me. I think revival would instantly come to the church if all of God's people would just fall down on their face and confess sins that they already know are going on in their life. Forget about sins that you're kind of blind to, kind of sinful habit patterns, those kinds of things. Put those on a shelf for a moment. The church would find revival if God's people would actually take holiness seriously. And just say, you're right, I've had a bad attitude toward this person. You're right, I've been resentful. You're right, I've been bitter. You're right, I shouldn't be doing those things. And boom, revival would take place. It's the Spirit's job to bring conviction. And conviction is good. Why do some people live with conviction for years, eating away at them? I do not know. Four. The Holy Spirit helps you to discern truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Remember Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate said to Jesus one day, what is truth? I think that that's a legitimate question. What is truth? What thoughts do you think about yourself And what thoughts do you think about other people that are unhealthy and not even true? Here's one. What about self-talk? Everybody talks to themselves. What self-talk do you engage in that is not only unhealthy, it's not even true? You know, sometimes we just say things like, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? That's not true. I'll never amount to anything. Oh, I didn't go to college. I'll never be a... And you just come up with all these things. They're not even true. The Holy Spirit has promised to guide you into all truth. A few months ago, my nine-year-old granddaughter, Lily, came over to me and just did this. Come on, Pop-Pop, let's dance. 
and it brought up all my past woundedness. <laughs> and you know what she does? She takes her hands, puts them in my hands, and she puts her feet on my feet. And we dance. And we giggled and laughed and held on to each other. And everybody around us laughed. It was pure joy. God doesn't care how good you dance. That's not the point. God cares about your fellowship. God cares that you are filled with His Spirit. The personal presence of Jesus in your life. And Jesus said it was necessary for Him to go away, physically for Him to go away, because if He didn't go away, He couldn't send His presence into every believer's life. We have an advantage over the disciples. When Jesus was here on earth, he was physically in one place. If you weren't there, you didn't see Jesus. But now, Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he has sent the Holy Spirit, who Peter calls none other than the Spirit of Jesus. And now we have Jesus living inside of us. And we are engaged in this beautiful dance until we get to heaven and experience a whole new level. So let me ask you the question. Have you, are you, filled with the Holy Spirit? And are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead your life? Or are you like the Apostle Paul, who was this ancient term, right? Kicking against the goads. The goads are those little metal pieces that you put, you know, near a horse that when you kick, it jabs the horse and it gets the horse going. You know, the Apostle Paul's description was even while he was persecuting the early church, the Holy Spirit was convicting him. And finally, it just got to a place where he said, That's enough. Some of you have been walking against what you know, and today may be the day, and you're like, you know what? I don't know why I'm kicking against God. Because all He's doing is inviting me to unconditional love. So here's my invitation. Up on the altar is a prayer, and it's simply this. Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I need your Spirit to be for me, counsel me, comfort me, and guide me. I surrender my lead to your lead. You know, only one person can lead in a dance, right? I want more joy in my life. Fill me with your joy. I want my life to count. Lead me to serve you in my world. I want you to sanctify me, to cleanse my heart and motives, 
on a deep level so that I am pure on the inside. If this resonates with you, um, I'm just going to ask you to get up right now and come up and pick up a card. And this is what you're going to be praying all week. Now, if I'm, if I'm you, actually, I'll probably do it myself. I'll probably stick this card someplace where I'll look at it two, three, four times a day, and I'll just, just pray this prayer. You don't have to say the exact words. This isn't magic. It's just, you know, praying this prayer. But if you want to experience this unbelievable Trinitarian dance that Jesus says, come on, let's go. Everything I know that's significant in life starts with a prayer. So just get up if you want to. No pressure if you don't. But if you want to, just get up, pick up a card, go back to your seats, and then I'll close this in prayer. If you'd stand, please. Our Father, there's this um, really cool thing that is recorded on the day that you rose from the dead, Jesus, and you met your disciples. The Gospels record that you looked at your disciples and you breathed on them. Holy Spirit, breathe on us right now. Fill us with your energy. Breathe new grace. Breathe courage. To meet the demands of life, breathe courage to respond to godly conviction, breathe courage into service for you, fill us with your spirit right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. Love you.